0: Hello and welcome back to Mike and Matt at the Movies. We're conscious that it's been a while since our last episode, but with normality slowly coming back to the world and the cinema's opening back up again, we've actually been pretty busy, a point which we'll probably come back to several times during this episode. So please make sure you've got your tiny violins at the ready.
1: So we decided to get back on it, but we didn't really have a plan or a focus. So my initial idea was basically to just try and wing it with minimal preparation. (laughs) I started to make some brief notes. And the one phrase that kept popping into my head was, uh, do I look like the kind of guy with a plan? Which is obviously from Heath Ledger's Joker in the Dark Knight, a film we've both mentioned a few times in past episodes. and We both know very well and love very much. Your man, your plan. Do I really look like a guy with a plan? You know what I am? I'm a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if i caught it. You know, I just do things. So now we're sucking diesel and we have a focal point for our new episode. I'd also been planning to do a standalone piece on the Fast and Furious saga, which again, with the lack of spare time, I would not had a chance to do, so we'll be dropping that in with this episode too. So now we do have a plan, so let's go.
0: We'll also be covering our usual features and referring back to the films we intended to watch after the last episode where we focused on Jurassic Park, which is available with all other episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and anywhere else that provides great podcasts. Uh, so to kick off, we'll have a usual look back at what we've been watching recently. Uh, so Matt, what's been uh, grabbing your attention lately?
1: So football mostly, um, if I'm honest, the so, uh, last few weeks. Um, but I have managed to watch a few films. So since the cinema's been back open, um, i watched Peter Rabbit 2 with the kids. I have to add that bit. I didn't go by myself to watch it. <laughs> I watched Mortal Kombat, which um, I was talking to someone about it. And basically, it, it's violent. And that's really my, my main takeaway from the film. It's not particularly great. It's not terrible. It's just very, very violent. And then I also watched the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard which is fundamentally a terrible film, (laughs) but at the same time is highly entertaining and is quite funny and silly. So, you know, it wasn't a bad one to watch, really. Um, I managed to watch uh, Army of the Dead on Netflix, the uh, Zack Snyder zombie flick, which is very long and very Zack Snyder-y. So, yeah, read into that what you will. If you're a Snyder fan, you probably loved it. Um, If you're like me and you're a little bit cynical about sort of like the... um, you know, the, the sort of like the quality of the look of the film over the actual quality of the actual make of the film and the scripts, and everything like that. And you kind, of, you kind of get what you get with that. I've been watching Loki on Disney Plus, which I'm sure we'll come back to because we're only halfway through it at the moment. So we'll come back to that probably in a later episode. Um, and I've randomly rewatched a load of old stuff on TV, like The Waterboy, which, again, fundamentally terrible <laughs> film and yet very amusing all the same. So uh, so what about you, Mike? What have you been watching lately? Um, well, I've actually watched a few
0: films lately, which I know is uh, rare for me because, you know, we have this podcast that's marking out of the movies. And every time I seem to be telling you the amazing TV series that I've been watching recently. But yeah, I also saw Mortal Kombat. Um, I thought it was quite true to the games. Yeah, it is very gory, as are the games. And I liked that they went over the top with the blood coming out of the characters because it did feel so much like the games. Very cheesy in parts. But I think you could, I think that's more, it wasn't taking itself seriously, which I don't mind, you know, as long as it knew that. Um, The only thing I did find a bit odd with it, you'll probably know where I'm coming from with this. Did you not think it started looking a lot more sophisticated than it then ended up being? Because, you know, it started in Japan with subtitles and I thought, oh, bloody hell, they've actually made a sort of a a real Mortal Kombat film here where it's going to be like a real Hollywood film. But then after that scene, it just went to mindless violence, didn't it? In uh, yeah. America,
1: <laughs> which is yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that opening sequence is really good. And it? So it did take me by surprise a little bit. And then, yeah. but yeah, but then it just did just become a, a sort of like, you know, a, a violence for violence sake, like beat him up, basically, which, like you say, is true to the game. So yeah. so, so yeah, it's got its merits with that. But, um, but yeah, the opening scene is probably the best bit of the film.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's stunning, isn't it? It, You know, I thought it looked a bit like an Ang Lee film when it first came on, but yeah, then you know, it became what you'd expect, which was fine, and I I did enjoy that. And then uh, another film I've watched is not a recent release; Uh, it's one that has been on my list for a long time. Finally, watched uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I wasn't a big fan. Uh, I am; I do like his work, uh, Quentin Tarantino's work, uh, but I just thought this one was far too long uh, with very little payoff. I mean, it's got... Have you seen it yourself?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got sort of like some opinions on it as well. Um, it's um, it's one of those films that I liked, mm. but I can't really put my finger on why I liked it. Um, and a lot of people sort of like mention like the the, sort of like the, the final act where it goes ridiculously violent and, and that's yeah. kind of like they see that as the payoff. But I actually preferred the film prior to that point. I preferred the, the quirky, dialogue-driven, you know, like, we, like you know, strange kind of like quirky film before that. And then the violence was a bit, you know, not wasn't too much for me, you know, because I watched some other violent stuff. I'm not so sort of like that, not that squeamish. Um, but um, but yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting one, you know. And, and I think it did kind of like get really mixed opinions from people. Like some people absolutely adored it. Some people hated it. Um, some people loved the violence. Some people didn't. So it was. Um, so yeah. So it's, it's an interesting. It's a film I keep wanting to go back to, but because it's so long, yeah, it's, it's it's quite hard to sort of to set aside the time to to kind of to to rewatch the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I did laugh quite a few times. I think um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt are fantastic in comedy roles. They, they can both do it really well. I've seen that in other films, but yeah, I mean, it just didn't it it held my attention. And I can see that they were aiming for a payoff at the end, but I just didn't think it did. I didn't think it was enough to justify the almost two hours, 15 minutes that you you take to get there with very little happening really in that, in that build up to that. Um, and yeah, it just felt a bit, it's same as with in, in Inglorious Bastards when you've got the scene with Hitler getting killed. It's just like Quentin Tarantino sort of saying, "Wouldn't this have been great if you know? Wouldn't this have been funny?" And then he just really, really goes to town with it and goes so overboard, um, much like Hitler's death in that. But uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan I wouldn't be rushing back to watch it but it did it held my attention and there were some good comical moments in it uh, and then finally uh, I do have to say I've been a TV series uh, for my final choice uh it's one that I love and it's just started its seventh and final season on Amazon Prime uh Bosch with Titus Welliver uh, playing the Harry Bosch character from the uh, the novels. Uh, it, fantastic series really good quite dark very gritty always a great story. Uh, in every series, if you you haven't watched that one yourself, have you? No,
1: no, it's something, it's something that I've kind of I'm aware of, but I've never yeah. actually uh, never actually watched a single episode of it.
0: I can't recommend it enough. There's normally only uh, between six and ten episodes per series, uh, so they're quite easy to watch, very addictive, and every story is every series sorry, has got a great story. Um, and once this one's finished, there's nothing to stop you really, because you don't have to worry about them making more. They, this is the final <laughs> series. Um, I'd recommend that one. It's very good.
1: So moving on to our main feature. So we're going to be talking about The Dark Knight. So it was released in 2008, directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Christian Bale, Heath Ledger and Morgan Freeman. It's got a 9.0 on IMDb with over 2 million reviews. It also picked up two Oscar wins, um, including Best Performance for an Actor in a Supporting Role for Heath Ledger. I don't know what IMDb you're on about. I'm sure it's about as close to a, a 10 film as it could possibly be. I, I watched this at the old school IMAX at the Science Centre in Birmingham uh, when it first came out. And it's one of the best cinematic experiences I've ever had. Uh, you know, it's, it's really, sort of really, really steep rake on the seating. So like your knees are basically touching the ears of the person in front of you. Um, it's not the most comfortable place to watch, uh, watch a long film. But but yeah, I was absolutely blown away by that. So, um, uh, so what are your initial thoughts? thoughts when you think about the dark knight
0: just an absolute masterpiece i love it um i remember i remember that imax it is it's an interesting experience isn't it because they, they weren't the most comfortable seats but it, what an experience to watch a film in there um and of course this film had quite a few scenes that were shot in imax as well and they would have looked absolutely stunning on that i'm sure in imdb's defense although nine doesn't seem that high. Uh, it does. It is actually number four in their top 250 titles, uh, only behind Shawshank Redemption, Godfather, and Godfather Part Two. So, I mean, that is quite an esteemed crowd to be amongst. Absolutely love this film. Uh, when I first saw Batman Begins, uh, I didn't overly enjoy it I I didn't dislike it but I didn't love it and then Dark Knight came around and obviously there's so much hype uh, because uh, Heath Ledger had already passed so it then got you know even more sort of marketing and there was more hype behind the performance and uh, around the film so I was a little bit concerned that it wasn't going to live up to that when I did see it And boy, did it. I mean, it just surpassed any expectation I'd got for it. His performance was absolutely incredible. The film itself, fantastic. Uh, It's again, this is quite a long one, isn't it? It's over two hours, but it doesn't feel it at all when you watch it. I mean, even from that opening scene with the uh, the bank job, it's just brilliant. And uh, going back to what we're saying about um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, great use of humour in parts of it as well. I think all three of the Nolan Batman films are quite good for that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this is in my top five easily, this film. I just absolutely adore it.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's, it's definitely up there among, amongst my favourite films and. Um, just with regards to like the, the stuff that was shot in IMAX, um, and you mentioned as well about the the heist scene at the start um, with with the Joker's robbing the bank. When I was watching in IMAX, the bit where they, uh, the Joker goes across on the zip wire from one building to the other, as he steps off the building, it goes out to full IMAX, <laughs> and and like and obviously as I mentioned, like with the, the rake of the seats, and so slightly like slightly uncomfortable anyway, and like this, and so as he goes over the edge, and it just fills out the screen. That sort of the what that does to you, sort of like in your head, basically and <laughs> physically, is absolutely insane. So it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was really good use of sort of like interspersing like the uh, the the true IMAX footage into into the film. So I and mean, we will, we will talk about Heath Ledger's Joker, but before we get onto that, there's um, obviously in uh, in Batman Begins, uh, Rachel Dawes was played by Katie Holmes, mm-hmm. um, who's had a Problems, obviously, uh, off screen. Um, so, in the second film, the character was replaced by Maggie Gyllenhaal, who's a fantastic actress in her own right. Um, I remember reading something at the time with regard to Kate Holmes, and someone basically said that Christopher didn't even trust her to get blown up, <laughs> um, which is why you re- which is why you recast the role. Spoilers, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean so that was that was an interesting one. I mean, I actually quite like Kate Holmes in the role um, in the first film, um, but Maggie Gyllenhaal is a is a fantastic. Actress. One of the other bits I really like in the film as well that really builds tension is sort of the um, the boat dilemma. Mm. where uh, There's the two boats going across the river, and um, and they both find out that there's a there's a bomb, and it's up to them to decide who lives and who dies as, as part of like the I suppose it's like the Joker's ultimate plan is to uh, is to prove about the chaos and stuff like that. So uh, so I think every time I watch that, because it's one of those things that you can't quite remember how it plays out, despite mm. how many time, time times you watch a film. So I find that it's really, really tense every single time. So, Absolutely.
0: Uh, Absolutely. Uh, and I love uh, his reaction when it just doesn't go to plan. It's just the look of confusion on his face that you just mm. can't understand why they wouldn't be blowing each other up. Oh, it's just superb. Absolutely amazing.
1: So if, um, if you could sum up Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker... You know what? What would you? You know how? How would you describe it? Where, where would you rank him amongst all the different jokers? Obviously, we assume that Jared Leto is bottom.
0: Yes, so. absolutely. And I think uh, you'd have to put. Oh, do you know what? That's a really tricky question because before it would have been straightforward. It would have just been Jared uh, Jared Leto at the bottom, and then because of how great Heath Ledger's performance was, I would stick Jack Nicholson just below that. Because you know, I, I think he's great in the nineteen eighty nine, isn't it? Nineteen eighty nine Batman, but I mean Heath Ledger was fantastic. But then, how great was Joaquin Phoenix in Joker? Yeah. I mean that that performance again was just amazing. Uh, it, it's it's amazing how people playing that role can just defy expectations because the the pressure for Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger's performance to have been as good as Jack Nicholson's. I think so many people just thought, no, impossible. There's no way. And then it, it was. And, you know, you could argue even better than Jack Nicholson's. But again, they, I suppose they've got quite different tones, those films anyway. Mm. Um, but then again, I mean, when this Joker film was announced, I think people were thinking, well, yeah, and Phoenix is always a solid choice. He always gives such a great performance. But how on earth could you top Heath Ledger's? And then I don't know. I'm really torn. I I'd put them on par potentially. I just think it was amazing. Obviously, he wasn't always uh, in character. Well, very rarely in character as the Joker, but just that character himself was just so unsettling and just awkward to watch. And I think that's that in itself. I mean, what an achievement.
1: Yeah, I think I think those two roles they kind of um, they kind of dovetail each other a little bit because in in um, in the Dark Knight. Heath Ledger refers back to the past and what made him like he is. And, and but then obviously with Joaquin Phoenix, you kind of see the past of the Joker and the things contributing to, to why he is the way that he is. So, mm. you know, as two separate performances, two completely separate films, um, you know, and, and they're not meant to be the same character, like in terms of like the canon or anything. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's two different takes on it. But like I say, they're both so brilliantly done. Mm-hmm. um you know it's uh and but like sort of yeah. You know, to focus on this film like with heath, Le- heath ledger the way he comes across is so psychotic mm-hmm. um you know with, with a lot of the stuff like one of my one of my favorite bits and you know I, I i love it every time i watch it is the uh i'll make this pencil disappear and and i think the first time i watched it, it didn't click in my head <laughs> what what he'd done and it's like you know and he's basically just rammed a pencil into someone's head. Yeah. And it's like, you know, and stuff like that. And like the way he interacts with sort of like the, the crime families and, and kind of <laughs> takes over. But he's just got this whole nonchalant I was just about to use the exact words
0: towards it the, the nonchalant attitude that he just says ta da after he's just put a pencil <laughs> through someone's eye is is horrible. But I mean amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like it's just yeah it's just this level of brutality which mm. is um you know, but and then that's offset against him, kind of like you know, kind of skipping around everywhere, <laughs> and, and you know, with the fancy suits and stuff. So, you know, there's, there's so much love in that performance, and the the bit in the uh, in the police cell when when they've they, they've caught or he's let them catch him basically as it as it comes to pass. You know that that whole like the dialogue in there with the detective and then with uh when you know when batman appears from the shadows behind him mm. which again is something that's such an amazing scene it's so well lit and so well shot that you kind of just see like you know the, the batman kind of just emerge from the shadows mm. and it's um you know it's it's, it's fantastic you know there's uh, there's 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 too much to love about this film and, and it's and there's all, there's all the other little bits and pieces that they kind of they that they drop in so like with the um uh, the financial manager and so like morgan freeman's trip to to hong kong an amazing um, sequence that, and it? it's like yeah there's this uh, you know there's so many layers to it that it's not just a straightforward good guy versus bad guy so yeah i, I absolutely love it and like I say it's, it's a it's a long film and yeah but i will watch it quite often because mm. like, yeah it just takes your fancy from time to time and you just want to watch something that that you know you're going to enjoy that's really high quality and, um, you know you can just kind of sit down and put it on and you just get immersed into it straight away and just um, when you
0: think could it get any better it's got a hands in a score as well
1: yeah exactly yeah so it's a uh, hands in a score like you said with, with the comedy with, with joker dressed up as um as a nurse in the um, <laughs> in in the, the hospital and, and stuff and everything that goes along with that you know it's just it's so bonkers um but it's done in a way that really fits the character because mm. like you know he, he is completely unhinged so um <laughs> so yeah i mean like so we've been fortunate i've seen our last episode we spoke about jurassic park which is a film we both you know we, we, we both love and we both know very very well so yeah and you know an excuse to talk about about this this time around is, is great so um it, you know, we, we always want to talk about new films we want to talk about watching things at the cinema and that but then there are just some classics that we'll uh we'll always always just go back to
0: absolutely and then what were your thoughts on uh Dark Knight
1: Rises um the first time I watched it I didn't like it mm. um because I watched it late night sort of like after a close at work I think um, I've,
0: I've had a few films spoiled for me by doing the same thing yeah. I know what you mean
1: and you kind of sit through it and it's it's a bit slower mm. um at, at times uh, and it's sort of like, i'm watching it late at night and and, and it kind of it's it, it almost felt like it dragged a little bit um mm. but then having revisited it and you know I'm and so sort of like especially like, you know because i know that you're you're a fan of it so it's sort of like listening to sort of, to you talk about it, it's kind of you know like it helps when you re re-watch and you see different things and you, you pick out stuff and like, you know that the the bane character is amazing Mm. Um, you know and I like the way they kind of left the the ending was quite ambiguous um, in, in yeah. terms of like where he was what he did and stuff like that and it's like you know you go online there's like you know 20 different theories about what it means and and what and what actually happened and stuff so um but, yeah, but I, I thought it was really good and again casting wise was uh was really good with like the uh with the supporting cast so, yeah, so I, I, I do like it. it. I don't like it as much as so I like The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's probably, not, of the three, it's probably my second favourite. I think, like I said, with, with Batman Begins, because it's the origin story, it's sort of, it's, you know, it's, it's not all Batman. So yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it, it's more about him getting there. But it's important. it was important to do that to set up the, the rest of the films. So um, that, it's like the same as the first Iron Man film. You know, mm. it's, it's all about setting up the character and, and building up to that. Um, and I actually adore, adore that film. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so, I mean, you know, we could probably talk for ages about the, about the three films and, um, I, I know, you know, we could probably get any one of our past guests or any future guests will probably, I'd like, well, I'd like to think, love these films. So, uh, <laughs> otherwise they won't be coming back on basically. Too so, right. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, yeah, we, we've got to have standards at some point. So, um, <laughs>
0: I'm going to stay fairly quiet here and not remind you that I haven't seen any of the Marvel films. Uh, we're, we're, we're,
1: um, well, to be fair, that works. It's quite a nice segue to, um, to films I love that you haven't seen uh, or films I love that you don't like. Um, <laughs> so to move on to our second feature, as I probably mentioned previously, I'm a really big fan of the Fast and Furious franchise. Mike, not so much. Um, so I had the idea a while back uh, to do a standalone episode or a short focusing on the series. Um, building up to the release of Fast and Furious 9, which is in cinemas now. I built the library of music and clips and artwork. And then due to time, as we've mentioned a few times already, it never really materialised. So um, so instead, I've put together a Fast and Furious saga review to include in this episode. Um, I've recorded it separately so as to not pour Mike to tears. So without further ado, and in the words of uh, Austin Powers, allow myself to introduce myself. So we're up against Dom's brother? He's got his own
0: private army. We need help.
1: No way. Nice clubhouse. So how do you want to play this? Fast. It's good to be back.
0: Fast and Furious 9 in cinemas now.
1: Welcome to my Fast and Furious review of the Fast and the Furious saga. So we am going to dive right in and um, go back to 2001, so 20 years ago, the very first Fast and Furious movie hit the screen. Um, so it's directed by Rob Cohen, it's got 6.8 on IMDb, um, so it's set in LA, and it's the first introduction to Dominic Toretto, Brian O'Connor, Letty and Mia, aka Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, Michelle Rodriguez and Jordana Brewster. Plot-wise, it's basically um, a Point break remake, uh, but with street racers instead of surfers. That's no, by no means a bad thing at all. Um, you know, Both fantastic films. Uh, the basic premise is Walker's an undercover cop trying to infiltrate a street racing gang to uncover who's behind a series of high-speed robberies from goods lorries. He gets sucked in and his alle- allegiance is tested as he falls for the sister of the number one suspect, Dominic Toretto. It's all been done before, obviously, but the cars and the race sequences do a pretty good job stealing the show. And let's face it, those of us of a certain age 100% wanted green neons under our cars for uh, several years after this film came out. The sound engineering for the car noise is fantastic as well, and having seen it in the cinema really engages you with the action. Um, You get what you get with Vin Diesel, he's stoic and brooding, um, but it does really fit the role really well. Um, And he's someone that's focused and calculating while also looking out for his extended family. Um, Walker's a standout though, with his blonde hair, blue eyes and uh, cervical attitude and demeanour. Um, he'd been in a few films prior to this, but this was definitely a breakout performance for him and uh, a role that he really grew into across you know, the, the upcoming films. Um, it's a solid film in my opinion. Um, I can easily go back to uh, watch it again and again uh, quite often and, and I always find myself enjoying it. I uh, can't really pick out any favourite bits from this because I do really like the entire film. You know, It's quite grounded as well, especially when you compare it to, uh, to what comes afterwards in a lot of the films. Um, although the one bit where um, they uh, go in front of the train right at the end of the film, uh, I remember listening to the director's commentary of, of, uh, of the first film, and um, and the, like, both cars jump as they go in front of the train, and obviously there's no reason for that whatsoever. It's just they, they j- honestly just thought it looked cool, so they went and did it. So uh, you know, so it's you know it's a really good film. You know, if you just watch it in and of itself, um, it's really good fun, and um, you know, and it's sort of like obviously a, a long way removed from where the films are now. Fast and the
0: Furious, rule or one, yeah, yeah, it's I please believe, yeah, ain't real. please believe, it's murder,
1: please believe, I and see, come on, what's touching me? So, jump forward two years to Too Fast, Too Furious, which uh, came out in 2003, directed by John Singleton, and a uh, 5.9 on IMDb. So uh, two years removed from the events from the first film and Brian O'Connor has moved to Miami. He's living under the radar, earning a living from street racing, but his past catches up to him and he's forced to help take down a drug baron, played by Cole Hauser. Um, the second film also introduces Tyrese Gibson um, and Ludacris to the franchise as Roman Pearce and Tej Parker, um, and also the uh, the gorgeous Eva Mendes as a DA agent, who's been uh, hinted at returning to the franchise, but so far, other than like a really brief cameo in a a credit scene at the end of Fast Five, which is not actually come back. Um, So the change to Miami changes the tone. Uh, It's all these bright colours, parties, bikini-clad women, rather than sort of like being on the streets in LA. There are a lot of fancy cars in this film too, but uh, already the focus is sort of moving towards them teaming up to uh, overcome the odds against the big bad, and the cars are just like an, an added attraction. There's lots to enjoy in this film, including like the opening race with the bridge jump. Um, and the race for slips for the American muscle cars that they're going to use as part of the, uh, you know, the, the final sequence. Um, but probably my favourite bit is like the massive scramble that they do um, when they change cars to get away from police surveillance. It's silly and fun. There's just tons of cars involved and um, you know, it's, it's a bit of a spectacle, especially watching it on the cinema screen. Um, i have to say it's probably a guilty pleasure, this film. Um, it's not a great film. Um, at times it's pretty hammy, but I do really enjoy it. Whereas with the first film I'd um, you know, consciously choose to go and watch it um, again and again. Whereas Too Fast Too Furious tends to sort of like pop up on the TV quite a lot of an evening. And um, I kind of just stumbled across it and then I find myself ended up watching it basically every single time. So next up is 2006 Tokyo Drift, um, Justin Lin takes over directing duties from here on through to the 6th film. Um, this got a 6.0 on IMDB which I'd say quite surprised me, I thought it would be a little bit lower. Um, so before I talk about the film I guess I have to address the timeline, um, I'm going through these in release order um, but as it comes to pass with later films chronologically this film isn't the third, it actually fits in more between 6 and 7. Um, and to be fair, it's like pretty good how they uh, sort of like come back to it and, and sort of like, you know change the timeline and, and sort of like show where that film fits. Um, but anyway, um, the action moves to Tokyo uh, without any of the original cast, bar for an uncredited Vin Diesel Cameo at the very end. Uh, Lucas Black takes the lead role as Sean Boswell as a troubled teen, teen shipped off to Tokyo to live with his dad after a series of run-ins with the law at home. Um, there's no way that Lucas Black is a high school kid, he looks far too old. Um, but with his franchise, that's probably the least ridiculous thing um, that comes to pass over the coming years. Um, but again, it is quite a strong performance and this is a film that I've gone back and watched recently. And um, you know, I think the hindsight makes it a better film. Uh, it is enjoyable. It used to be kind of like i treat it as a standalone, not necessarily part of the franchise, but having sort of like watched everything in bulk uh, in the last few weeks. You know, i do i do enjoy it and i enjoyed it a lot more than i uh, i remembered so um so the plot is um in tokyo sean discovers drift racing um he's used to driving american muscle um but he discovers drift racing in a completely different style and he manages to get on the wrong uh, on the wrong side of the reigning drift king we're introduced to han who's played by sun kang who becomes an integral part of the fast team in later films there's loads of amazing japanese cars ad, uh, to add to the cast with a fair chunk of humor added into um, there's also Lil Bow Wow who plays uh, the role of Twinkie during the film uh, which you know kind of works a lot for the uh, the comedy aspect of it. Um, like I said hindsight is great I when I re re-watched it I found I enjoyed it far more than I had done originally. Um, there's a lot of similarities with this film as well with uh, the 2005 Hong Kong film in, called Initial D um, which is a de- decent watch in itself um, and then that film itself is actually based on a, a manga and anime series as well. So moving on now um, to 2009, to Fast and Furious. Uh, This scores a 6.6 on IMDb. Um, After a bit of a gap, we finally get the reunion of Vin Diesel and Paul Walker in the Fast franchise. Um, O'Connor is now working for the FBI and Dom is hiding out in South America. Um, This is arguably one of the best films for me in terms of like plot performances and storytelling. And it's somewhat more grounded than the later films with Dom O'Brien working against a drug smuggler um, and a kingpin Campos brilliantly played by John Ortiz. Um, it also has Brian rekindling his relationship with Dom's sister Mia, and sees him struggling between his role in law enforcement and the draw of the Toretto family. So it kind of echoes back to the first film, um, but does it in a you know an exciting way. Um, in terms of best bits for this film, um, there's Gal Gadot, who um, is always the best bit of a lot of films. Um, she makes her first appearance in the franchise uh, as, before coming back in later episodes as well. And there's also some great great set pieces from the get go with the fuel heist. Dom and Letty attempt to pull off at the very start. um, After which Letty leaves, Dom and heads back to the US, only to be killed, bringing Dom back looking for justice. Where reluctantly teams up again with O'Connor. So, like I said, it's uh, it's a good film. It's quite grounded in what they do, um, you know, by comparison anyway. Um, But yeah, you know. a film that I've uh, watched several times, but part of my rewatch, you know, it definitely stands out as, as one of the better films, in my opinion. So that brings us all the way through to Fast Five in 2011 which got a 7.3 on IMDb. Uh, Fast Five sees the introduction of The Rock to the franchise and he comes in all guns blazing. Uh, Luke Hobbs is a great character, Um, he's developed quite a bit throughout the films, um, though it is a bit of a shame that him and Vin Diesel reportedly don't get on, hence why we end up with the Hobbs & Shaw spin-off, but more on that a little bit later. Um, having broken at Acoustic at the end of the last film, the team are laying low in Rio with Vince um, from the original film, played by Matt Schultz. Um, Vince gets him involved in a car heist from a train, which is a fantastic set piece, um, which brings them ultimately up against a powerful drug lord. To fight back, they get a team together, which brings about the, re- the reintroduction of Roman, Tej, Gal Gadot, Giselle and also Han, emphasising the displacement in the timeline of Tokyo Drift since he's killed in that film. Um, there's quite a bit of development of characters and relationships between them, especially the uh, com- competitive friendship between Roman and Tej. Um, this film is tons of fun. It's more heist movie than car movie, as they plan to take down the drug lord whilst trying to avoid Hobbs, who's hot on their trail. Tragedy ends up bringing them together, um, to, to bring them to work together. Um, there's a ambush scene, um, which has kind of been done before in films like, like *Clear and Present Danger*. It's quite sort of like similar to that. Um, but it is really powerful, and, and it sort of like you know, emphasises the family and uh, and every, all those, those kind of traits of the films. Um, this film also marks a point where the films took like a massive turn to the ridiculous. Not that that's a bad thing. Um, but um, my biggest question in this film is around like the laws of physics of dragging the safe through the city, uh, the chain chain seemingly changing length at will to suit the needs of the action, plus the carnage that comes through it is never really addressed. Um, I would imagine the body count was pretty high when you look at all the damage that happens. But ultimately, you know, it's really good fun and it's a great way to end the film. Uh, you know, with some like the like the heist. Um, aspects to it where there's sort of like a bit of a twist that you don't see happen and then it kind of you get a flashback and explains what actually happened that, that you didn't see. And then hot on the heels of that we could move on to Fast and Furious 6, which has got a 7.0 on IMDb. Um, so Hobbs ends up getting Dumb and Brian to get the team back together to help hunt down a criminal gang led by Owen Shaw, who's played by Luke Evans. Um who also has an amnesia suffering letty under his employment um, so she's not dead after all um, the globe train really starts with this film um, but obviously as a brit it's pretty cool to see london take in a focal role in the story um, Obeying the laws of physics went out the window in the last film and now they're really just having fun um, there's all the fast cars destruction that you can ask for including the tank marauding down a highway plus plenty of wisecracking from roman and tej badassery from the rock as well as some exposition and other parts of the story linking into past story arcs to make this a really big feeling film. Yes, the runway for the final scene probably needs to be about 103 miles long for uh, everything to happen that it does, uh, but we've already abandoned reality at this point, so um, you know, just take it for what it is, and uh, you know, it's all out action um, and carnage, really. Um, so in the credits of this film, we get introduced to Shaw's big brother, played by Jason Statham. And it also cements Tokyo Drift in the timeline with it being Shaw Shaw the Elder who crashes into Han's car, killing him as a message to let Dom know that he's coming after him as revenge for uh, capturing his brother.
0: It's been a long day without you my friend and i'll tell you all about it when i see you again we've come a long way from where we began oh i'll tell you all about it when i see you again when i see you again
1: fast seven um sees james 1 taking over as director um, it's got a 7.1 on IMDB. Uh, this film, um, well, before I talk about the film really, it's probably more a, a bigger thing to talk about is during the production of Fast 7 uh, we tragically lost Paul Walker um, which led to a delay in the film as it was reworked and some bits reshot with um, his brothers stepping in as, as doubles and apparently even doing some voice work as well um, in the edit of the film. Uh, it was one of the main theme, themes of the franchise: is family. This really got emphasised in this film, and, and rightly so. And. and Personally, I think they did a really good job of kind of adjusting and, and going with it, and, um, you know, and how they've kind of treated Paul Walker's character in the film since this one has been uh, has been really good. Um, you know, it's a real shame to lose an actor like Paul Walker who was kind of just getting going um, as an actor. He's got tons of potential. You know, he's got a great look. He could do you know, any type of film, and he you know, potentially you know fill out any possible role, Um, since we like to dish out recommendations on the podcast um, then I'd really recommend checking out 2006's Running Scared, Um, it's very different, it's a very different role for Paul Walker, it's a very different film, Uh, it's pretty dark in places um, but it's excellent so that's something that I would definitely, uh, definitely recommend. Um, at the end of the film, there's a, a tribute to Paul Walker, which uh, I'm not going like, to get to me every time I watch it. Um, but you know, it's, it's done in a very respectful way, um, and you know, like I mentioned, it is good how they kind of utilise the story and manage to honour him sort of going forwards as well. Um, the film itself is bonkers, as you can imagine. Uh, we've got the introduction of Jason Statham as Deckard Shaw, who's trying to get revenge on the team for taking down his little brother in the past film. You also see the introduction of a CIA agent, Mr. Nobody, played by the always brilliant Kurt Russell, who's pulling the strings and employing the team to rescue Hacker Ramsey and gain access to a piece of software known as God's Eye. Which uh, could be used to track anyone around the world, um, which obviously is a bad thing if the bad guys get it. Um, Rams is played by Natalie Emmanuel. Um, becomes a regular in the franchise from this point, and she really grows into the character sort of through this film and, and in the subsequent films as well. Um, you know, she's a fantastic actress, so you know it's always good to see her on the screen. Um, so in terms of best bits, uh, you know, where do you start with this film? One thing I really love is the coach scene when they're rescuing Ramsey, um, specifically Brian's escape um, as he uh, as the, the coach goes over the cliff. You know, I get fully involved and I edge my seat every single time I watch it. Um, and then final sequence is crazy, racing around LA, avoiding drones and a helicopter and collapsing parking structures. And um, the whole thing's highlighted by uh, Hobbs coming to the rescue and and taking out a drone with an ambulance, as you do. Um, what is the most ridiculous part of this film, though? Um, there's a bit where Dom deliberately crashes his car down the side of a mountain to escape, um, or there's a bit where they manage to crash a supercar through uh, three adjacent buildings in Abu Dhabi. You know, there's probably reasons behind it, but you know it's bonkers, it's crazy. Um, but you know it's, it's all part and parcel of the franchise, and um, you know you get what you get with it, really. then moving on to Fast and Furious 8 um, also known as Fate of the Furious, uh, which came out in 2017, um, directed by F. Gary Gray, Uh, it's only got a 6.6 on IMDB, Um, so Fast 8 sees the team back together again to go up against Dom, who's seemingly been turned um, and aligned himself with Cyber Terrorist Cypher, played by the amazing Charlie Theron. Um, to help fight like, fight back, Deckard, Deckard Shaw is recruited by Mister Nobody, leading some amazing interactions between Hobbs and Shaw. Um, you know, sort of like it's like they its funny. You know, they're just like uh, picking holes at each other and trying to knock the other one down all the time. You know, just, uh, the prison escape is amazing, and like how they kind of like they develop that reaction going uh, relationship going forward is fantastic. Uh, Fast 8 also introduces Little Nobody, who's Kurt Russell's CIA understudy, played by the brilliant and often underrated Scott Eastwood. Um, the highlights for Fast 8 include them taking on a submarine obviously, um, but one of my favourite bits in this film, and possibly the franchise, is where Deckard Shaw is uh, rescuing the baby from the plane and fighting his way out, manages to mix some really violent action seamlessly with comedy and showing a whole new side to his character as well which uh, you know he's not just the hard man he's not just sort of like the uh, the heartless killer uh, so you know it does flesh out of the character quite a bit um, and obviously the end of the film leaves things very much open for, for what's going forwards um, and obviously Dom's now got a son so it changes the tone a little bit of, of what will be happening going forwards so then there's a little break in the Fast and Furious films um, after after Fast and Furious 8 um, but that gap is partially filled by um, Hobbs and Shaw. So um, I think they were keen to kind of capitalize on the relationship between the two characters. Um, and I think, as I mentioned earlier, that the, the Rock and Vin Diesel apparently don't get on all that well, um, you know, and don't really want to work together. So um, doing a little spin-off is, is good and, and growing that relationship even further.
0: Pick a door. All right that. will No, that's my door. Pick another door. What's wrong with you? You know what, you were right. This is your door. What's the matter? You got a lot of bad guys behind that door? Luke Hobbs <laughs> and Decker Shaw. We've got unfinished business. Shaw's sister took something from me. A virus that could wipe out half the population, and I want it back.
1: Um, You know, it's another crazy film. Um, Idris Elba plays the big bad, who's suitably over the top, as sort of, he refers to himself as being Black Superman. you know, the action is crazy. It goes all around the world. Some fantastic cameos um, by Ryan Reynolds and Kevin Hart, which I didn't see coming. Um, so, you know, they you know, really good parts of the film. I um, mean, I find the film fits comfortably within the Fast and Furious franchise, um, but also feels different enough and, and separate enough from it that it doesn't just feel like a, a rebranded sequel. No matter how fast you are. No one outruns their past. Been a long time, don't. Little brother. Maybe this is the end. But if we go out, we go out together.
0: You know I'd ride to the death with you. Fast and Furious 9. In cinemas now.
1: So that brings us right up to date with Fast and Furious 9. Um, so Justin Lin returns to direct the latest entry into the franchise, with all the main players returning, including Charlie's Theron Cypher, Han is seemingly back from the dead, and also the cast is bulked up quite literally by the addition of John Cena, playing uh, Dom's estranged brother, Jacob. Um, obviously there'll be some people who won't like it and will take time to point out all the ridiculousness and, and how things don't make sense, and that's absolutely fine, But um, yeah, at the point of recording this, um, Fast Nine's only got a miserly 5.5 on IMDb, but I have to say I absolutely loved it. It's big and loud and far fetched and just the sort of film made to be seen at the cinema. And being as we haven't been able to watch many films at the cinema in the last 12 months or so, you know, this is you know a great tonic for that. Um, you know, and if you if you like entertaining films and if you like to see things like blow up like I do, then you know it's a, it's a great choice. Um, there's plenty of flashbacks to explain the arrival of Jacob and um, there's plenty of action throughout and for a film that's two hours and twenty minutes long it really flew by there's usual mix of humour and wild action set pieces um, the two of which aren't mutually exclusive either and there are a few bits sent around family and other bits and pieces like that that kind of tug at the heartstrings a little bit if you're that way inclined um, I do like how they're keeping the character Brian relevant in the story even if it's just acknowledging that he's off doing something else and and just keeping that memory there for everybody um, and that he's still part of the, uh, the family. There are also returns for Lucas Black and Bow Wow, or Shad Moss to give him his real name, um, both from Tokyo Drift, as well as another brief appearance from uh, Dame Helen Mirren, reprising a role as Queenie, mother of the Shaw brothers. You know, it's only like a little brief appearance from her, but she is funny and it's, uh, it's, it's good they've kept that, that character involved and they've got someone with that kind of gravitas being part of the film. Um, It's definitely a film which deserves to be seen at the cinema on the biggest screen possible to experience it in all its glory. As I've said plenty of times on past podcasts, I see cinema as escapism and entertainment and a distraction from the real world. And this is the sort of film which really fits that bill. I'll definitely be trying to watch it again if I get a chance. Um, And I'm already looking forward to the next one to see what new mayhem they can come up with. So I've saved Mike from having to, uh, to sort of like sit through. My uh, my Fast and Furious review. Um, like I said earlier, this is this is something that was going to be a standalone episode, maybe, but uh, but with time constraints and everything else, that I thought we'd uh, we'd just include it in a normal episode. And uh, but it's something that I definitely wanted to. I wanted the excuse to watch the films through again, um, if nothing else, um, and and sort of to share my thoughts and share my my love of the the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, it does have its detractors and yeah a lot of it doesn't make much sense and a lot of it's daft but it's really good fun and that's the sort of thing that I go to the cinema for.
0: we not talk about family when family's all that we got Everything I would do, you were standing there by my side And now you gonna be with me for the last ride It's been a long day without you, my friend And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again
1: thank you to me for that um so in my haste to be all fast and furious with my fast and furious review of the fast and furious um i realized afterwards i'd missed a few points um a couple of which i'm just going to throw out now so firstly michelle rodriguez looks hotter now than she did in the first film 20 years ago which further emphasizes how badly i've aged personally in that time period. but more importantly um and this is something that mike and i have discussed regularly like we we like real stunts and real effects and stuff so you know a, a lot of the stuff in the more recent fast and furious films has been done in camera rather than with cgi obviously there is some cgi and there's some stuff that's completely impractical to do practically um but there is um, there is a video which i will try and share of um you know like a behind the scenes video of a lot of the like the in-camera stunts that they were doing So a lot of real stunt work goes into making these films and making them look as as realistic as possible, as ridiculous as they are. So, yeah, I think that's, for now, that's all I'm going to say about uh, Fast and Furious. Uh, So we now move on to our
0: recommended film. In our last episode, we said that we were going to watch and review a couple of Oscar-winning films from uh, this year, namely The Sound of Metal and Nomadland, which were both about to be available in the newly reopened cinemas as well as on streaming services. Unfortunately, we haven't had time to watch them. It turns out that being back at work is rather time-consuming, as we have mentioned earlier in regards to what we've been watching. Uh, We did, however, make plans to watch The Sound of Metal just after the last episode, but our plans changed slightly when we spotted that we could actually watch Terminator 2 Judgment Day at the cinema on the evening when we were due to visit. And well, how could we resist? Uh, So instead of reviewing two new movies, let's talk about T2
1: instead. So uh, Terminator 2 Judgment Day was released in 1991 as a sequel to The Terminator, uh, directed by James Cameron, starring Arnie, obviously, Linda Hamilton, Robert Patrick, Edward Furlong and Joe Morton. Just going to name drop that I have actually met Joe Morton and Linda Hamilton at a convention, so that's uh, you know nice people. So um, <laughs> I'm not going to get them as a guest, unfortunately. I don't know them that well. But um, <laughs> um, so Terminator 2 won four Oscars uh, for sound, makeup, visual effects, and sound editing effects. So basically, the basic premise of the film is a cyborg identical to the one who failed to kill Sarah Connor in the original movie must now protect a ten-year-old son, John Connor, from a more advanced and powerful cyborg model. T one thousand played by Robert Patrick. I don't know where to start. Really, I mean, we've we've mentioned uh, a little while ago about sort of how we like you know the the use of real effects and and stuff, and and I think we both sort of said after watching this the other a couple of weeks ago that you know some that's what really stands out is that obviously there is CG and and uh, obviously you can't have a liquid metal um, Terminator like with a real effect, but. Um, you know, a lot of the other stuff was done real and in camera. So, you know, that that's sort of like immediately impressive. So so what what are your what are your takeaways of uh, from this film?
0: Uh yeah, firstly I have to agree with that. I think I think there's no substitute for just practical effects. Um I think tenet much as I didn't particularly enjoy it, that really drove that home for me recently um, because that's, you know, you can't knock it for that. It's, it's, it's incredible for that. Same with this film. Uh, any sort of car chases, explosions, uh, Arnie standing with a, a Gatling gun firing at all the police, the, you can just tell that they really did <laughs> do all those things and it's just in- incredible to see on screen. Um, love the film. It's so well-paced. It's again another one that's fairly long but never feels it yeah i mean again it's a classic isn't it uh solid performances really interesting to see uh then flip it on its head after watching arnie as the ruthless killer in uh the first one to then see him protecting uh, as the uh sort of the protagonist in this one uh yeah i think i, I just absolutely love it uh, and it was great to see it on the big screen I, I think that was it was it was the first time i'd seen it on the big screen um you saw it did you see the 3d one when they did that
1: yeah, yeah, I managed to see that. So yeah, I've seen it a couple of times on the big screen, but it's mm-hmm. it's a sort of film that that deserves to be seen in that format. So it's uh, yeah, I, I think like you say, we like the, the flipping of the character, um, and and obviously he's, he's programmed to learn and, and to obey command, and 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 that injects quite a bit of humor into it as well. Um yeah. with sort of like obviously the Easter and, and and all that sort of thing. So, but then obviously like they're they're being told he's, he's not allowed to kill. So, mm-hmm. like I say, like the bit with the, the Gatling guns, all standing there and, and like make sure it doesn't kill anyone. But <laughs> it's um yeah, it, it was like it was a really good twist it? So, I mean the with with that twist in mind, um, when we when we watched it, um, I was really conscious during like the opening section after both terminators have arrived, that the way things play out, the way it's shot and and everything. Um, It seems to lean heavily on implying that the Arnie Terminator is the bad one and the Mm. T-1000 is is the good one, Um, which I guess makes sense coming out of the first film because obviously everyone knows the the, the Terminator as as the big evil. But I've not really noticed it before, but it just seems like every shot, like the the music and and the way it's done, every shot was there to imply that that Arnie's still the bad guy and, and everything Whereas like Robert Patrick's come back and he's more normal, so he's more like the so like the Michael Bean character from the, the first film. But like I think when I first watched the film, I knew that Arnie was the, the 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 hero basically in it. So and I'm sure from like advertising and trailers and the Guns N' Roses video and stuff like that, you know, I'm sure it was all given away that um that Arnie was you know was a good terminator. So it's it's just weird that, that first like 10-15 minutes of the film really builds attention that you're assuming that he's a bad guy so uh but like it's just it's just a weird one that i'd not noticed before so i, I don't know if you picked up on that or
0: yeah i'd only get after you'd mentioned it then um but yeah i would perhaps it was a perhaps they were doing it as a bit of a homage to the first film still so <clears> you still got to see him in that ominous way but yeah it's uh interesting because you're right it's nobody going into that should have been surprised
1: Mm, yeah, because even not like, the poster and, and stuff like that, it's like it's yeah, it's, it's strange. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, you know, it doesn't detract from the film in the slightest. No. So. It's um, you know, Every time you rewatch a film like that that I haven't seen for a, for a few years, and you pick up on just on, on little things and little bits of dialogue and, and stuff. And there's always bits where you're like I don't remember seeing that before, even though you're <laughs> watching the exact same film. So, but yeah, no, it was it was good. I mean, obviously we were meant to watch um, a new film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but you know, so, sometimes you get an opportunity and you can't really um, you can't really turn it down. So uh, and and Arnie's a normally a good shout for that sort of thing.
0: Oh, I remember The Last Stand. I love that film. We watched that, didn't we, after a close. Yeah, because
1: yeah, that was his first film after when he finished being governor, wasn't it? I think
0: yeah, that's right. Yeah, and
1: um, yeah, that that's a great film. That's you know since he's been back uh, acting, and that's probably one of my favourite films that he's done mm. because it's sort of like it kind of had that level of humour. But then also, you know, the the, the badassery of, mm-hmm. um, of Arnie being Arnie, basically. But but obviously, like segueing into the older character, and so yeah. you know, being, you know, rather than being sort of the, the commando kind of like action hero, he's more sort of the the old grizzled veteran now. Yeah. Um, but he's still built like a brick house, so he <laughs> uh, can still back it up. So. <laughs> So I guess we're in a position now where no news is good news. Uh, Most releases seem to be sticking as cinemas begin to find their feet. Uh, Although one that has moved slightly, uh, much to the anger and disappointment of Will, one of my colleagues at work, is uh, Warner Brothers have moved June back from its September release until Halloween week, uh, presumably to avoid Bond, so it gets a better run. Um, but having whatever we will over the weekend it's, it's really, it's a weekend basically um, uh, it's also good that production of films is kicking back into gear now too and little bits of exciting news are, are eking out like Michael Keaton has been on set filming scenes as Batman for the upcoming Flash movie you know, and like stuff like that so it's all very exciting for, for the future of cinema and things that are coming our way soon Oh I look forward to seeing Michael Keaton reprise that role
0: So that's uh, all we've got this time Uh, so please do be sure to follow us on social media Facebook uh, you can search Mike and Matt at the Movies Uh, Twitter is at Mike and Matt Movies and we'd love you to get in touch tell us your thoughts on the films that we've discussed drop us some recommendations for what we could watch in the future or simply just say hi Um, we'll be back later in July with a new episode we have been brainstorming lots of different ideas and themes to cover in the future uh, so by then hopefully we'll have uh, most of the rest of the uh planned out uh, with some exciting new guests as well as a few returning ones uh so thank you all very much for listening matt thank you very much to yourself yeah cheers thank you mike and thank you and goodbye